Hey everyone, we're hard at work on Season 7, so I wanted to give you an update with what's going on. We recently collaborated with Mr. Porter on a limited series of podcasts, which I'm so excited to share with you. We also recently released our 2020 survey and want to hear from you. We'd love to hear your feedback to make Blamo even better. So go to the notes and tap the link to the survey to share us your feedback. All right, on to the pod. You're listening to a special three-part podcast series from Mr. Porter and Blamo. I'm your host, Jeremy Kirkland. Throughout this series, I'll be inviting some of the industry's biggest authorities to discuss, dissect, and generally nerd out over their favorite subjects. This time, I'm talking with Gian Delion, Editorial Director of High Snobiety on Streetwear. What does streetwear mean anymore? Streetwear is such a weird term, right? Because it's like hipster. Yeah. Like hipster used to mean jazz enthusiast. What is What even is a hipster now? But that's the same thing that's happened to streetwear. Gian and I discuss the origins of streetwear and how it's shaped how we understand the world of fashion and culture itself. Gian DeLeon, thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. This is great. I'm really, really excited to talk to you because when I think of people in the industry who are experts, who are authorities, who I would say in most cases, like, you know, for me, you are a walking history book and encyclopedia of streetwear and more importantly like the culture of streetwear and where that birthed from every time i hang out with you i usually don't get to talk much because all i'm doing is learning more and more about everything you're saying thank you so much for for this jeremy um, thank you for those kind words but i also hate everything you just said what really hit well, me you know i mean i think it's just because no one wants to be a historian right of hit of streetwear like no like a lot of the stuff that is under street culture now it's like being a punk historian right there wasn't supposed to be a sense of permanence to it to me Mm. it's just about being actively engaged in you know the cultures and subcultures that inform you know what people call streetwear and you know having been there for a lot of the seminal moments of you know that people remember now right it's like looking back it was like oh yeah i was there right but that's also such a very like old rock and roll old hip-hop head thing to say was like oh yeah, I was there. So, you know, my opinion's a bit more valid. But I mean, I think, you know, for me, I've always just sort of been an observer and I am a journalist. And, you know, for me, it's just about putting people on to things that I'm passionate about. Well, I mean, let's let's jump to the beginning here. If you have to summarize streetwear, like what is it? I mean, you know, I guess what people are commonly calling streetwear now is just graphic driven sportswear with uh, very recognizable motifs and logos that often riff on pop culture in all forms. Mm. You know, that includes high culture, that includes low culture, that includes middle culture, right? It's just, for a lot of reasons, the genesis of streetwear is is Stussy. That was the first, I guess, streetwear brand in, in, in the way that most people would associate the term today. Stussy, the the California like surf, the California surf uh, yeah. brand founded by Sean Stussy. Yeah, and you know, I mean, streetwear is such a weird term, right? Because it's like hipster. Yeah, like hipster used to mean jazz enthusiast. What is what even is a hipster now? But that's the same thing that's happened to streetwear, right? Yeah, there's a bit of like semantic satiation to it, where like people have been saying streetwear, 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 and now no one's really sure what it means anymore. But you know, yeah, I think if you're gonna try to define it, it, it is like graphic driven clothing or mm-hmm. clothing that is 
readily informed by several subcultures, be it skating, hip hop, punk, surfing, without necessarily being married to one, right? It doesn't define itself as one particular subculture. It's just people who participate in these other forms of culture are able to wear this sort of brand or wear these brands in a way that, you know, feels like it speaks to what they're into. Yeah. I mean, because I think if you ask of various people of different demographics and ages, like what streetwear is, you're, it feels to me that you're usually going to get a different answer and that they're going to try to connect that to a part of their, you know, youth. Right. Like, I mean, a lot of it is like, you know, there's a lot of in common with music culture, right? I mean, right. streetwear community as a community and, you know, in practice is, is a lot like John Cusack and High Fidelity, whereas people will judge you for what music you listen to. People will judge <laughs> you for, you know, the brands that you like and the reasons that you like them. You know, it's not even enough to like a certain band. You have to like a certain song on a certain album to be considered like in the club, so to speak. And yeah. And yeah. know how it was recorded. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know? And so, yeah, it is super granular in that sense. Um, but yeah, it has become more democratic now. Yeah. Because of the internet. You know, I, I like to think that there are no more posers now. You know, you used to have to fly to Japan or you used to have to like fly to New York to buy Supreme, you know, uh, before even they were in LA. And, um, now because of the internet, it's like everyone can find out that, oh, this this brand was founded in 1994 on Lafayette Street. You know, it's like right. everyone has this means of discovering this accidental history that became streetwear and is now sort of an industry unto itself. Well, you, you just mentioned Supreme, like, and I know that Supreme has a lot of roots within Stussy. Like, well, yeah, James Jabia used to be the store manager of uh, the Stussy store, I think. You know, him and Sean Stussy met early on when James did Union. And James, founder of Supreme? Yes, James okay. Jebbia founded Union first uh, with Marianne Fusco. It was like one of the early kind of boutique shops in Soho. Mm -hmm. it's, it's always been in Soho, right? It's like, I think, like Agnes B, Olives, and Union, I think were like the only three things at the time. And, you know, this was post-downtown uh, 81, like Basquiat kind of Samo era, this this whole Kenny Scharf era of underground outsider art was developing. It, it definitely wasn't a place where you would expect, you know, a Chanel store or a Louis Vuitton store at the time. Yeah. But that's what gave, you know, this neighborhood, this little trademark um, attitude. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, I can go on about that kind of era because there was also like X large and things like that. But yeah, with the Stussy store opened down the street from Union, on like Mercer or something. But yeah, that was like the early days of what I guess we would call streetwear now. And it was really linked to subculture. It was linked to Larry Clark, the director who did Kids and okay. things like that. Uh, early skaters. I mean, you had DJs um, like Jules Gate and Alex, Baby Turnbull, and people that would you know wear the stuff to the club, essentially. They'd go to the right. tunnel, hang out, and that was a big part of the scene was just clothes that you could go out in but Stussy was a, a brand that more or less was founded on on a signature of uh the founder sean Stussy. right you know and um from its early days you know th there's that hand style logo that everybody's seen like mr porter still carries some of the items like the world tour tee which has it's sort of based on like a fashion souvenir tee if you think about it right because you remember in the 80s it was like the heavy licensing era uh, fashion houses like Gucci, et cetera. So, you know, it's like Pepe Jeans London right? something like that. You know, <laughs> you, you would have like these uh, fashion shirts that were essentially like the leather, small leather goods at the time that people could just buy en masse. And um, 
where and it's like i would say the name of the brand and boutiques and places like paris london tokyo new york etc so that's what the stussy world tour t was was a sort of a flip of that and then on the back it would say things like santa anna compton brooklyn etc instead of like the you know more quote-unquote prestigious place names on the front well so you have stussy you have supreme and you have this kind of like little type of like movement that's starting yeah. to happen well yeah uh jabia started supreme after he left stussy because sean stussy the brand's namesake left the brand uh, around like the early 90s mid 90s okay greatest contribution to you know the fashion world now is is baseball caps that weren't for a team you know uh, i was i was speaking with I think Eddie Cruz, who founded Undefeated and used to be involved with Stussy. And Undefeated mm-hmm. is, um, it began as like this sneaker shop in LA that's become a brand unto itself. And they do some really cool sneaker collaborations to this day. The story is that it was based on skate, like on just plain white painter caps that I guess skaters would wear. Okay. And that was the first time that, you know. Well, why would the skaters wear these hats? I think they were just cool. You know, I mean, skate style is, is like half utilitarian and half. I think this is cool. I'm just going to wear this kind of thing. <laughs> right. You know? Um, and so skate, skaters have really just defined a lot of what the streetwear aesthetic is and, and to this day. Because, you know, where else are you going to find a highly opinionated group of mostly young men who aren't afraid to say when they think things are whack? <laughs> that's that's a very you know? good point. And yeah. it's it's a hugely graphic-driven <laughs> uh, subculture. You know? And it's 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 also an activity that's largely based on sucking until you get it right. Like every trick you mean is like, like failure, an exercise like in failure. Good. Yeah, exactly. Okay. You know, it takes like nine times out of 10, you're not going to land something. And, you know, it, it's kind of uh, admirable that people keep doing it. And if you're really good at it, it's, it's almost like the anti-athlete in right. a way, you know, um, which is sort of the appeal. But yeah, it, it is such like a highly opinionated group of people who know what they like and are quick to call out what they don't like. And that's why I think it's such... It's so natural for yeah. them to be into gear. Right. Yeah. So you have these skaters wearing these hats, these painter hats. Yeah. And so what, what's, what's happening here? Because you talked about how Stussy had, you know, the, the credit of, of the, the hat. Yeah. I mean, essentially, Sean Stussy was like, okay, cool. I'm just going to put a big old S like on the hat and just sort of make it a thing. And, and it sort of became a thing. It was like, I think it was one of the first caps where people were cheering for her brand and not a team. You know, but it, it was like it wasn't like a big logo trucker or anything like that. It was just like a very simple designed S hat that people wore. And I think, um, you know, I wrote the oral history of Stussy for Complex, and I think Eddie Cruz remembers seeing JFK Jr. wearing one of those hats while biking down the street, which is kind of mind blowing. You know, him and Carolyn Bassett Kennedy were like style icons of that time. You know, especially yeah. especially Carolyn, the late Carolyn. Yeah, you know. Well, it's, it's interesting because I think something that I'm pulling from a lot of the streetwear stuff, because, I mean, even when you have this on the West Coast making its way to the East Coast of, you know, of the United States, right. you also have, like, the Vivian Westwood sort of, like, movement that's starting to happen that's over in London. Like, was this, was this stuff connected? Because it feels like there's a bit of this clothing made for, you know, air quote, us. Right. Like, for me, that's the thing that I always pull from streetwear is that it's for the people who are making it. Absolutely. Well, that's that's where Stussy comes back, right? Is that 
the thing that Stussy did was that they had the International Stussy Tribe. Well, wait, okay. So well, the International Stussy Tribe was essentially just a group of like-minded people. Like, you know, and it's just, it's not unlike what's happening now, right? Where you have Virgil Abloh, Heron Preston, this new crop mm-hmm. of, um, you know, designers and cultural figures who hang out with each other across the world. This sort of new influencer jet stream, if you will. But that's what the International Stussy Tribe was, right? It was just no matter what city you go to, you're going to find like-minded people. So let's just build this community of you know people that we think are cool and kit them out, right? They had like these varsity jackets with IST on it. The Stussy Tribe empowered all these people around you know just being cool and being dope people who got it. And what year is this? Like, when is this happening? Probably, like, late 80s, early 90s. Okay. But, you know, this was, like, the the heyday of club culture. Ah. Again, you know, it's like people would just unite around music, unite around things that they were into, right? The the clothing was just a way of complementing the lifestyle and a way of dressing in a way that really just showed what you were into rather than being the main event like it's become today. Yeah, so you know? it wasn't it wasn't like fashion. There there wasn't Stussy runway shows. There wasn't no. any of this stuff. You know, exactly. It's like, you know, if if you it used to be that if you were walking down the street and you see somebody in like a union t-shirt where they, you know, union used to have this um logo of like this man kind of jumping in the air with like a halo, sort of like a Jordan logo. Yeah. I but remember, uh, that. remember that, right? Yeah. And they had these oh t-shirts God. on it and if you would see somebody with that, you'd be like oh, you know, this person sort of gets it. You know, it, it's it's sort of gone the way of like thrasher tees, you mm. know, band t-shirts, where if you see somebody wearing something, it used to signify that maybe they were into this sort of same stuff you were. And now it just means, oh, cool, they bought this t-shirt. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but, uh, you know, back in the day of, of the International Stussy Tribe, and like, it was still very much about community, and it was about finding people who were just real, right? Yeah, It wasn't like the super calculated thing. It was just, how do I take this energy and really cultivate it where I'm from or do it in a way that feels authentic to my city? So where does like, how does the internet shape this? Because I think, you know, for someone like me, I remember getting on the internet and getting on Super Future, Style Forum. Um, there were Style Zeitgeist. There was also Splay, which yeah. is like a very seminal uh, message board run by Sam Spitzer as like invite only. Yeah, you had to get someone who had been on for a certain amount of time long enough to like, you know, sponsor you to get you in. Yeah. But the internet comes along and this is where I think like stuff, you know, where where I got to participate a bit in this because I was someone who was really curious. I had seen like a few, you know, zines that had some of these photos of some of Mm -hmm. these cool people. And I was like, well, how do I learn about this? And so I'm like, you know, there's no AOL keyword at the time, you right. know, we're in the 90s. No, it was great, though. For- forum culture is amazing. It, it yeah. globalized, like, the arrogant cultural butthead, <laughs> which was great, though, because it's like, I-, I remember being on forums, and I remember the whole process of starting as, like, a neophyte and not really knowing anything about anything and then just lurking until I felt like I could contribute something. Well, and then, like, What was your sent. first... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's true. It was very common to get yeah. humiliated by people who were really in the know when you ask a question about a brand. Or- exactly. Yeah, it's like <laughs> you noob. What are you talking about? Or you, I think plebeian was the uh, or pleb. Yeah, was the roast of choice in uh, those early days of internet forums. But yeah, I was on Super Future. I was on Style Forum as well. But you know that was the information 
because this is a early way to like discovering about double taps neighborhood and, and uh, even like fucked and this is before like the hundreds right which was a whole new era of streetwear mm-hmm. um but yeah in, the, in those early days it's like people talking about designer brands and covetable sneakers i mean nike talk is a story unto itself it's, its own forum Jeez, specifically yeah. about sneakers right because that, that was the thing about streetwear and sneakers is that they were adjacent and it's mm-hmm. like you had heads that were just super into the shoes only and then you had some streetwear heads that were um you know into both right you wanted to wear you wanted to find clothing that really complemented your kicks etc and yeah that was sort of the vibe was forums was yeah. sort of uh that's how you found your people if you l- lived in the middle of nowhere yeah you know i lived in in northern virginia and that's why i was so attracted to the super futures and style forms of the world because it was you know the passport i didn't have i was sort of living vicariously and, and discovering a lot of these things through those types of forums because people who were super knowledgeable and were proud of the knowledge that they had and were and loved to show off their stuff. Yeah. Hanging out on those places. Because there's no e-commerce at the time. There's obviously no Mr. Porter. There's no... No. And what you had, I remember, is you had proxy buyers. Yeah, so, proxy buyers. And, and you had buy and sell on those forums Yeah, well. you did. That's so you right. you could buy stuff yeah. right from, uh, you know, users. I mean, which you can get scammed a lot, for sure. <laughs> Thankfully, I, I haven't... I've never been scammed on a forum, but yeah. The forums were just sort of pre-blogs. Yeah. And the blog era just opened up the floodgates for a whole different era, right? I mean, post-internet, like, there, there is that 2005, 2000, like, early to mid-2000s era of streetwear. Because 2005 is when Heist and Body was founded. That's when Hypebeast was founded. You know, Complex was launched in 2002, I believe, mm. by Mark Echo. Like, we're, we're glossing over the whole urban wear thing, which was also, you know, important to talk about, right? Because you had Sean John, you had Puff Daddy's line. That's an era unto itself that I feel like is adjacent to what we're calling streetwear now, but at the same time, very important to mention. I mean, in terms of, like, the contribution of, of the, from the culture and... yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I remember. I remember. I remember. Method Man had a line called Johnny Blaze, and I and Woo Wear. You remember Woo Wear? Yeah, you I know. Do and remember and Woo Wear. like hip hop clothing is sort of like skate gear and skate brands, where it's like it's not really what people would call streetwear, but it is adjacent enough. But mm. it was sort of its own thing. It has its own unique energy. Like not every skate brand is a streetwear brand. Some are just still skate brands. Yeah, because some of these brands obviously started to to cross over into, you know, they would say that they were a skateboarding brand. Like right. Supreme was that. But you didn't, you know, the majority of the people that were buying them each year were getting less and less right. skateboarders. Yes, ostensibly it's a skate brand. But it's a skate brand that makes things with Damien Hurst. It's a skate brand that <laughs> That's true. makes Tom Brown Oxford shirts. It's a skate brand that makes... Brooks Brothers here soccer suits, you know? Yeah. And that's why I think having that differentiation point of a streetwear brand being a brand that touches on different subcultures but is never solely defined by one is so important, right? Because you have to be able to navigate different spaces. Yeah. And I think that is that kind of intangible of what streetwear is. Well, let's actually, I'd love to, to jump on that for a second because. I don't really know many brands that did the type of like, you know, crossover collaboration at all until until Supreme. And and when I mean like real like crossover, I don't mean like, 
you know, oh, this this is kind of the same. Like, this mm-hmm. is like-minded. I mean, it was is very different. And right. I, for me, Supreme felt like the first that did that in, in my mind. But I, I could totally be wrong. I mean, you know, the, the SMU, the special makeup, has existed for a long time. And, you know, we just released our new book, The New Luxury. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I interviewed Hiroshi Fujiwara for it. And, you know, we were talking about collaborations. And we one of the questions I asked each of the people profiled was what was the first luxury thing that you bought? And his answer was Tiffany notebooks, right? He was one of his first times to New York. He went to the Tiffany store and he saw that Tiffany had pens by Mont Blanc with Tiffany branding. They had a Rolex with Tiffany branding. And he was perplexed because he was just like, why, why make pens with Mont Blanc? And I think it was a sales associate who told him the, well, you know, Mont Blanc makes the best pens in the world so why are we going to try to make a pen if we don't make pens let's just take their pens put our name on it and it's still a great product that's just been you know in the ingratiated into the tiffany universe and that just blew his mind and so the whole co-branding thing you know he says that he's been doing with fragment and things like that and all of his other sort of projects stemmed more from there than it did from streetwear so, okay, so this, so he gets this idea from, you know, Tiffany, which is, an, well, luxury, a yeah, very luxury for brand, sure. you know, and then he starts to kind of bring this over into what he was doing, which was, you know, streetwear. Right. So what, so you had, what was the brand that he was doing at the time? He was doing Fragment. He had good enough before that, but, you know, right. he's had a bunch of different projects for sure. Uh, even Head Porter, right? I mean, going back... You know, he, there's the Japanese bag company, Porter Yoshida, mm-hmm. and uh, Head Porter has been this line that he's been overseeing for a long time. And so, you know, going back to collaborations, yeah. Uh, when Stussy reopened their flagship store in Soho, it was like Stussy on one level and then Head Porter on another. So, you know, a lot of times there's two ways that collaborations happen, right? I think the first is when you literally can't do it better yourself, why not partner with the people who do it best? Mm-hmm. Right, that's a story you hear a lot. Is well, what are we going to do? Make a better sneaker than Nike? Like, right? Why not just design our own sneaker and do that? You know. And the second is just working with your friends. You know, there's uh, Stussy Union collaborations from way back. There's like a Stussy Supreme collaborations from way back as yeah. well. Uh, and a lot of that just stemmed from you know, let's just you like this, you this is your thing, this is my thing. Let's just combine forces. You know. And a lot of it just felt really natural and very organic for the time. It, it wasn't really like a marketing thing as much as just a way to like support your homies. But <laughs> but in, in a way, what's happening here is this is also attracting and creating a new audience because mm-hmm. there, you know, there is some inevitable crossover of previous customers of whatever luxury brand that, you know, the streetwear brand collaborated of course. with. So, and now you know, the streetwear section is growing bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. And so we, one of the things that happened, which, you know, we'd be ashamed not to discuss was what I think was one of the biggest signs of luxury collaborating with streetwear. And that was the Louis Vuitton Supreme collaboration. Of course. It's amazing. Yeah. You know, that, this is an argument we have often is like, is it a nail in the coffin? Is it, you know, is it the peak? I'm like, no, it's not. I mean, th- th- there's a rich history there. At the end of the day, streetwear and high fashion are just two sides of the same coin. They both want to maintain a certain air of exclusivity. They both want to appeal to a certain type of discerning consumer. 
And, you know, there's a whole set of respective codes that usually come with the clothing. And, you know, for streetwear, it was just sort of like the antithesis to high fashion. Like Stussy had a bunch of um, logos that riffed on Chanel. There's the linked S's that were just the linked C's of Chanel. Yeah. Um, Supreme Sean did the Stussy. Louis Vuitton. Stussy also did it before. Oh, really? The Stewie Vuitton print. Oh, yeah. wow. But they both got cease and desists, right? Supreme <laughs> yeah. did an LV flip. I guess the logo flip is is the parlance for any time that it's sort of parodied. Yeah. Uh, Russ Karablin with Soar, of course, with his Comme des Garçons parodies. I mean, I think like 2013, 20, 2014 was like peak fashion parody. Like it was, it's a whole sort of subgenre of streetwear. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's a way of taking an appreciation for fashion and distilling it for an audience that it otherwise didn't speak to. Like, you know, Sean Stussy was as inspired by Comme des Garçons as he was hip-hop. Right. You know, it's like items like his beach pants and things like that kind of spoke to where his head was at. And so, you know, in some ways it was, it didn't underestimate its audience. I think that's one of streetwear's greatest strengths is it knew early on that if you're a kid, if you skate, if you're someone who, you know, lives in a city and may not be of means, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that you don't have taste or can't have taste or can't be into things that people don't expect you to be into, whether it's high fashion, whether it's art, whether it's film. The premise was that we know that there's people that fashion isn't speaking to mm-hmm. that we speak to. So you have these bigger houses now. Right. And when I mean houses, I mean like like capital H houses that are doing fashion stuff. And now it feels like they're doing what streetwear did, which is really kind of borrowing from that aesthetic, mm-hmm. that, you know, appreciation and understanding of youth and the culture and also making clothes that are not like, this isn't couture stuff. This is sweatshirts. You know, you had Givenchy, you know, making the Rottweiler, the big graphic you know, sweatshirts and things like that that are happening. And I remember seeing this stuff and getting really, really excited about it. But I also remember there were other people who were like, oh, no, this isn't authentic. But in a weird way, it felt like it was also the most authentic thing. I mean, I've seen you wear a Tom Brown sweatsuit before. I have. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, though. It's like the whole Tishi era, Givenchy, you know, a a lot of it is because of guys like Kanye West, you know? Okay. Who really just redefined what hip-hop style was and what celebrity was in many ways, too. But, you know, I think for him, he was the one that, to, to me, who put the Givenchy Rottweiler stuff on the map. Like, there's... Because that was the Watch the Throne tour, correct? It was the Watch the Throne tour, right? It was yeah. working with Tishi. But, yeah, that's a whole different thing, right? Like, that's when... I mean, his whole personal style has been dissected to no end. Mm-hmm. But I'm just thinking of like, I think a look at Paris Fashion Week where he was wearing a um, Supreme camo anorak with like Jordans. And there's another one he's wearing like a, I think it's a Band of Outsiders dinner jacket with like ripped jeans and Jordans. Oh, that yeah. was like a I whole do remember that. classic era of uh, Kanye West style. I mean, he was wearing the Don C, um, Just Don caps that, you know, the were Michelin caps with like exotic bills yeah. and exotic straps on the back. To me, that's when you started seeing the whole quote-unquote, new luxury starting to form. Yeah. Right, because Don C's caps were expensive. I they mean, were Yeah, they were $450. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, whereas Supreme, 
Stussy, fucked. Uh, all those predecessors have been, you know, priced very reasonably. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to say cheap, but you know, it's not at Louis Vuitton pricing, for example. Uh, you know, then you had Virgil Abloh, of course, launching Off White, Pyrex Vision before that, and uh, yeah, that was the whole era where the $600 sweatshirt was normal. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's yeah. true. Because I mean, that was people were. I would say that they were very surprised right. by seeing that, you know, yeah, a sweatshirt costs this much money, like a Givenchy sweatshirt being, you know, 600 bucks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but I don't know. I I think I remember seeing this stuff and people were, were, yeah, I would just say they were very surprised by it. Right. But then again, you know, that just, to me, what that showed was, you know, someone like Virgil is looking at the exorbitant prices of these high fashion garments and him with originally taking Pyrex items and printing them on champion hoodies. And it's like what a Caravaggio Pieta or, um, you know, champions mesh sweat shorts. Mm-hmm. And then saying that, you know, this is a $450 garment. This is a $300 garment. He's placing a value on his ideas and his concepts. And he's saying that the value is what it is because I am worth it. And to me, that's a flex, you know? <laughs> Is saying that okay, cool. You're gonna pay eight hundred for like a Givenchy sweatshirt or something like that. Yeah. Um, and because it's from a fashion house, because of the cachet or whatever. Yeah. And then to have the gall to just be like, "This is what it costs," because I'm worth that. And people loved it, you know. And I think it was brilliant in in that regard of of being like, "Yeah, uh, this it costs what it costs. Pay me." Yeah. And it's, you know, a lot of the early stuff sold out. Off-White continues to be a hugely popular brand. Of course, like with Off-White, you know, he has a whole powerhouse of people in Italy that are making his garments. Mm-hmm. And uh, the designs have definitely evolved since then. But yeah, it, it, w- it was a very subversive premise that broke him into the fashion world versus the streetwear world. But the approach was sort of the same of taking something like familiar, but then adding something to it that was just like, whoa. You know, that got people really talking about it. And, you know, from there, it's just his whole career just went through the stratosphere. Virgil Abloh? Yeah. When he was announced to be the creative director of Louis Vuitton, that was... The uh, men's artistic director. Oh, yes, Yes. please. Yeah, When he was announced to be the men's artistic director of Louis Vuitton, I think, you know, a lot of people got very emotional and were tearing up. Oh, I cried at that show. Yeah, his first show. Yeah, when he when he hugged Kanye, right? Yeah, because that was so many people were like, okay, finally, you know, capital F fashion is not only you know really acknowledging, but it felt like that they were giving credit and they were they were really trying to say like this is where it came from, mm-hmm. and we want to give credit to all these different types of communities and demographics and yep. people who helped create this genre, um, which is now you know. Because what what streetwear is high fashion. High fashion is streetwear. It's it's this. It feels like it's all the same. But to have one of the most prestigious design houses yeah. in history to acknowledge that was a really really special. No, it was, thing. it was a hugely emotional moment for sure. Right, and the fact that Benji B, the music director of of Louis Vuitton, you know, he hired this live band to play instrumental covers of songs, and I think the finale was to. Um, Ghost Town Part 2 off Yay, right? Where Kid Cudi has that line that says he sings, uh, I keep, I've been trying to make you love me, but everything I try just 
keeps you further from me. I'm like, this has been Virgil's relationship with the fashion industry. You know, it's like he's been trying to legitimize himself at the highest level and it's actually happening now. And so I think the piece I wrote after the show started with that line from the song. Cause I think that was such a profound synergy between, you know, what that song is about and like still being the kids we used to be, et cetera. And the youthful energy that street represents now being manifested at the highest level of a fashion house. Yeah. I mean, think to be honest, thinking about that and, and hearing you explain it, I also got a little bit emotional because you're right. Like there is this acknowledgement to the people that created the industry that they're welcomed by it now. And, you know, do you think that because of that more designers and more companies are seeing this being inspired and, and feeling the courage to create their own line? Oh, a hundred percent. And I think the industry is being more welcoming. You know, I'm, I'm seeing more and more designers who look like me and attendees at fashion shows who look like me. You know, I'm Filipino. And to see like Ruigi Villasenor showing a Paris and to see him doing a capsule at Mr. Porter is wild. But, you know, what he does isn't streetwear, right? It's, he's a designer. It's like fashion. Um, and, you know, it says it has some streetwear and workwear inspiration to it. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't want to lump him into the whole streetwear thing, right? But that's what I mean about the lines getting so blurred. Yeah. Well, and it's also, in in a way, I, I don't think people are putting restrictions on the type of clothing that these people can create. It's also what's happening, right? Yeah. It's like 424, uh, you know, in California. It's like, well, okay, well, what kind of brand are you? You know, it's like, where does your brand sit? It's, it is a very weird world right now, but that's the exciting part. Yeah. You know? That's true. That's very true. Well, so... You know, I I do want to make sure we discuss your your book here because I yeah. think your book fits in to this to this discussion for sure. So can you can you like you know give like a, a little bit of an explanation of it? So the new luxury defining the aspirational in the age of hype is out now, and you know it, the whole premise of the book is just like how do we get to the spot where where Virgil Abloh is a artistic director at Louis Vuitton, where someone like Brian cause Donnelly went from doing art on top of Kate Moss, Calvin Klein ads to a Macy's Thanksgiving day parade float to a collection with Kim Jones at Dior. Yeah. You know, how did a brand like Nike go from a humble sportswear sneaker company to being as covetable as a Louis Vuitton bag, depending on like what the release is. Sure. And uh, a lot of it comes from our white paper called the new luxury where you know we had this study uh, about h- how people are buying things today, what they perceive to be as luxurious. And we, we were really surprised at the results. We were surprised that Nike and Stone Island are in the same conversation as being regarded as luxury brands as Louis Vuitton and Gucci and Prada. And so, and Supreme is up there too, you know? So we're just like, this is definitely, there's something here, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, luxury isn't a price point. It's about, value and how people see something how valuable they see something you know and and the value that they place into a brand or into an object that's we've come full circle now (laughs) yeah that's true you're exactly right see this is why i love people like you and and you know and i say that because there's so many stories and things that you're connecting here that give me a 
much deeper understanding and appreciation for this. You know, I mean, to, to know why someone cares about something, you get to understand why they perceive of the value and obviously they can assign it to you as well. And I think that's, that's a huge takeaway from me from obviously this conversation and, you know, streetwear in general, because, you know, not only is this a community of acceptance, but it's also, there's a lot of sharing going on. And for the first time, it feels like that this sharing is really, really okay and, and welcomed uh, in the industry. So like, do you, you know, to take a 10,000 foot view here, do you think that, you know, it can only get better from here? Or, I mean, wh- wh- how do you feel about all of this? Well, yeah, I mean, in the book, there's a great feature about the future of streetwear written by High Stability founder David Fisher. And, and him and I are of the same mindset, right? It's like, there's always going to be a new generation who are going to define what youth fashion and what the driving force of youth style looks like. You know, it's not going to be my job. I'm in my mid-30s. Like, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to probably just keep wearing what I'm wearing now and not buy anything for a while. But, you know, at the same time, I'm excited by, by brands like Cactus Plant Flea Market, like Braindead, that, you know, are both accessible from a price point level mm-hmm. and, you know, make things that feel earnest, you know? And, and mm. it is about feels and vibes, right? Which is... Sounds like a really dumb thing to say, but it is sort of a matter of taste. You know, it's like there's there's people like uh, Reese Cooper, who's a young designer, who I think really does really cool stuff. And if you look at the success of brands like Online Ceramics, too, mm-hmm. Advisory Board Crystals, you know, there's a whole new crop of exciting things out there each day. And, you know, as someone who doesn't get excited about much, the fact that I can still get excited, I think is really cool. Yeah. Definitely. A lot of this credit too, is the fact that the distribution channels for clothing and merchandise now has really opened up thanks to the internet. I mean, the fact that, you know, people are launching an Instagram account, it's a brand, they screen print their own shirts and now those shirts are shipped all over the world. I mean, is is. I know some people who have been a little bit frustrated by it, but when you look at it now and what it's doing for the industry as a whole, I mean, it's something that I have pinched myself and be like, this should be celebrated. No, it's, it's amazing. You know, it's empowered a lot of kids that, you know, they could do the same thing. I mean, you know, I think the the powers in the hands of, of these kids who just want to create something. And despite the fact that it's a super saturated space the cream mm-hmm. always rises to the top because it gets noticed by mm. you know the older heads who were like that's actually really cool let me try to see how i can help this person you know it, it still comes down to that notion of community right of finding like-minded people despite the fact that you might be 20 30 years apart in age you know or less uh if your minds are in the same place then you can connect over that yeah that's really beautiful Gian. Thank you. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Thanks for having me. This has been a pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to a special three-part podcast series from Mr. Porter and Blamo. This episode was produced in collaboration with Mr. Porter and Blamo Media. We are edited by Brendan Finn. Special thanks to the Mr. Porter editorial team and Jeremy Langmead. If you like this show, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jeremy Kirkland. See you soon.